This is the second part of the message I began uh, last week. And um, for those of you all who weren't with us, I'm going to do a recap of what, what we did there. But um, urgency was kind of really what the Lord had planted inside my spirit when he gave me this word um, for, to preach last week and today. And, um, you know, I think all of us can think of a time in our lives where um, something demanded urgency. You know, there was something that happened in our life that, you know, I got I to gotta get moving with this. You know, it's an urgent, it's an urgent matter. And, um, you know, I can think of several. I know from my wife and I, and Lori could probably share more about this than I could, but um, our last uh, child, Hannah, um, she, came, she came pretty quick. I mean, she, <laughs> we were living in St. Bernard, and um, the hospital was um, East Jefferson Hospital in Mattery. So if you all familiar with the geography, that's a little bit of a track, you know, from, from St. Bernard up, up to Mattery there. And so, you know, she got up, and I think, you'd, you know, you knew it was, Hannah was coming. So we're like, well, we got, you know, we got, we got time, you know, we'll do all this kind of stuff. And you could just kind of sense, Laura was like, no, this is really, it's co she's coming, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. And so I remember we were on the um, interstate, and we were driving, and we are just kind of driving, whatever. And she's like, really like, you know, I, I, we got to get there. So I'm putting on the emergency flashes, and I'm like, we got to get to the hospital. And I don't know how long we were there, but she was born probably an hour, maybe, I think, maybe less than an hour after we got there. So it was like, you know, it was like really urgent, you know, that we, and I don't want to be delivering any babies. I mean, I, I just, you know, you know what we're doing. I don't want to be in the room when the babies are coming around, much less be the one that's got to deliver the baby. So, um, and then we also experienced Hurricane Katrina. And uh, obviously that was urgent when that came. And, you know, those of y'all who don't know, this, this campus really started because of Katrina, you know, and, uh, you know, really, you know, God takes the things that we think are bad things and devastating things, and the Lord turns them around for good things. And so really, Katrina, for our, for our ministry, really ended up being a blessing. You know, we, we were able to get this campus. A lot of our uh, members had, you know, relocated on the North Shore after Hurricane Katrina, and Pastor Carl and Sister Dawn Catalanado, they pioneered this church um, here in Covington. But, you know, I remember when we, we were getting the word about you know, Katrina was coming, and I, if those of y'all who remember this, and this is, I forget how long it's been now, but it's, it's been a long time, but um, I remember when the storm was coming, and I was kind of, was, I was at work, and I was kind of tracking it on my computer, and it's like, they were saying it was going to go to Florida. It was supposed to go to, like, I think, the panhandle of Florida, and uh, so that was, like, the east side of New Orleans, which is the best side of a storm to be on, so we're like, who cares? It's no big deal. It's not coming to us. And I remember looking at it, and it was Friday, and the storm came Monday. So it was, we at work Friday, and I'm watching the, um, the track, and I'm like, the track was shifting more uh, west. You know, it was coming closer to us. I'm like, wow, this is like a, this is a big, you know, a big thing. We need to really kind of pay attention to this. And so anyway, and, you know, if you know the, the, the story, whatever, it ended up tracking different, and it did come right, you know, basically really right over St. Bernard Parish. You know, really it was right just east of New Orleans, and, um, but I just remember, you know, because we get evacuated before for storms and, you know, you live in St. Bernard or really anywhere on the South Shore, it's not safe to be down there. And so I just remember the urgency of like, you know, we have, I have to get my family together, you know, get our belongings, all the things that we have, and we got to, you know, we got to get out of here. So, um, so I think all of you, you know, if I asked you, you could share a story of something, especially if you were a parent, you know, something that probably happened to one of your children that, this was urgent, you know, I got to, you know, I got to get, get them help, you know, or whatever. So, but really urgency, I believe, can be a motivator for change in our lives. You know, when something urgent happens, 
Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a motivation to really change or do something, you know, about whatever that situation is. Uh, maybe financial situation, you know, maybe some of you have faced situations in your life financially and maybe things have gotten, you know, whatever, you know, out of order or whatever, and it just, because of the urgency of the matter, it caused you to kind of get your financial house in order, you know. Um, maybe a health crisis, maybe some of you have experienced something health-wise and it made you recognize, you know what, I need to kind of take health, you know, seriously. I need, you know, it was like an urgent uh, wake-up call. So, but really, when we think of urgency, and as a pastor and as a Christian, I have to ask myself, has the church lost its sense of urgency? Have, have we lost our sense of urgency? And, you know, and I can fall into the same, you know, trap as everybody else as a Christian, but, you know, Christianity and church can become routine. It can, it can become predictable. Uh, we, can get, we can become satisfied with the way things are, and we can just kind of follow the flow of the routine and not really understand the urgency of what it is that we do and what God has called us to do. And um, so the, the message um, last week I, I, I started was the message of salvation demands urgency. And this is the second part of the message here today. And you know, really, if you read the Bible and you look at the, even from Genesis all the way through Revelation, there was an urgency in the, in the Bible. You know, as God moved and began to do the different things, and really everything in the Bible was leading to the cross, leading to the coming of Christ, the, the Savior. But, but God, God had a sense of urgency in everything uh, that he did. So, um, but really, if, if ever there was a call for urgency, it's in God's church. And, 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 and we look at the world around us and we see the condition of the world around us and we wonder, well, what is the answer to all the world's problems? It's sitting in this room. This room has the answer. We have the answer and, uh, and it's, an, it's urgent. So last week, if you were with us, I kind of covered what I believe are the two greatest enemies of urgency and it's complacency and apathy. And, um, you know, complacency basically says that I'm okay. Like, I don't need to change. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. You know, every, everything is, is going along just great. I'm just fine. And apathy basically says everybody else is okay too. So with, if you have complacency and apathy in your life, then where's the sense of urgency? It's not there. It's, it's, you're, you're blinded by, by those two things. So really I believe that this message and the passage I'm going to share hopefully will be a way of God's spirit because, you know, when I speak these messages, it's not, it's not my message. I mean, I'm sure you all know that. You know, other pastors and other preachers, they may do it diff different. You know, when God called me to, to preach, I said, you know, I, I just look at myself as a, uh, as a mouthpiece. I'm just an instrument, a, a messenger delivering the truth of what the Word of God says. So really, it, it kind of takes the pressure off of me as like, well, what if I get it wrong or what if I don't say the right thing? Well, it's kind of hard to get it wrong when you're saying what God says. So, so really, you know, and even Christians, we're called to speak the word of God, the truth of what, of, of what the word of God says. So, um, so what should be the motivation that drives what we do as Christians and as a church? I believe it's the desperate need of people all around us. That the people are desperate. They they're hurting. They're 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 lonely. They're they're depressed. They're brokenhearted. 
they're living in bondage and, and, and they're bound up to, to addictions. And the solutions that the world is offering them are at best temporary. They're, they're not permanent. They're, they're not long-term. They might, they might provide some sort of relief for a season or for a, for a moment or for a, for a period of time, but none of the things that the world is offering today to those who are hurting is, is permanent. But Jesus is permanent. He, he, he's life-changing. And that, that, that's the message that you, and, that, that you and I have. So if you look at Jesus and his life, um, complacency and apathy never interfered with his mission. That was the last thing. That, if, if, you looked at, if, you, if you read the Gospels, the last thing that you would see in Jesus is complacency or apathy. They were like non-existent. That wasn't even his, in his vocabulary or in his train of thinking or his mind of thought. He was always focused on the mission that God had called him to do and on the needs of all the people that were around him. So we too, I believe in this. Again, this is God. God's spirit's got to come and do this. God's got to send his spirit to motivate us to the urgency of the needs of people all around us. They're right here in our community. They're right around this church, in the neighborhood where you live. The, the, we, we are surrounded by people that need Jesus. Everybody, everybody needs Jesus. So um, when you read the gospel accounts of the life of Christ, um, you, were, you, were, um, you were taken to the incredible encounters that Jesus had with people. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message um, and, you know, religion, man has really taken the Bible and religion and really, I believe, created it into something that was really not Jesus' intention. And, and, and you look at the church, and, and a lot of times it's more about, about institutions and, and programs and buildings and all those different things. But when you look at Jesus, what did Jesus do? He didn't build an institution. He was building a kingdom. And the kingdom he was building was a people. That, that, in other words, Jesus was connecting himself to people. It was all about, he was building his church, but it wasn't like an institution or, or a building. It was, it was people. That, that's what Jesus did. So um, I, I think a lot of times we miss the mark and what it was that Christ was doing because we've, we've done it so different. You know, and I'm not saying for this church, but I think religion in the church as whole as a whole, has kind of missed what it is that Christ done. And Jesus was all about people. That, that's what he did. So this is one of the stories we're going to look at here. This is in Mark chapter 2. And um, I'm going to read the passage again. I'm going to go over the parts that I shared last week. Um, but in Mark chapter 2, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And um, this story, I believe, and we're going to look at this, is an illustration of urgency. And I shared that last week. And really the first thing um, that you see in the story is that I believe is an urgent call to the church is people need to hear about Jesus. They, they need to hear about Jesus. If you look at the story, it says that Jesus had returned home or returned to his hometown and the people had heard that Jesus was there. And they, and they, were, coming, they were coming to Jesus. And, you know, I, I thought about this. You know, think about this. Here's Jesus, and they don't realize that he's the Son of God. The disciples didn't even understand who, who Christ was. But here he is, and there was something so attractive about Christ that the story tells us that the place where Christ was was, was filled. It was filled to capacity so much that the, the, um, the story tells us there, were even, there was no room to even stand by the door and like just look in. Like, I want to just see what's going on there. So I just get a vision of, of Christ just sitting in this room, maybe in a chair or whatever, and just people are pressed against him. They, like the room is just, just full. And again, they, they didn't know that he was the Son of God, but Jesus knew he was God. And what was he doing? He was with people. He was, he was connecting and touching and pressing against people. And it's just, it's just a beautiful picture of like, that's what God wants us to do. And the message that God has given us is really this simple. People need Jesus, the, the message of salvation. They, they need the cross. They, they, they need the salvation that only comes from Jesus Christ. So when, it, when, when it, the story says they heard about Jesus, this church, people need to hear about Jesus. That's the message that God has given us. So that's the first thing I shared. You know, it's not religion. You know, we don't need, we're not sharing a religious experience here. It's not a denomination. It's not what man can do. They need to hear Jesus. That, that's what they need to hear. And then the next thing we looked at is people need to get to Jesus. It, it, it wasn't enough that they heard about Jesus. The Bible says that these men, had, they evidently they had a friend. And th this friend was, was paralyzed. Could have been one of their family members. The story doesn't tell us. But all we know is that these men had to get their friend to Jesus. They, they, they had to get him there. And they were not deterred by any obstacle. In other words, when they, when they got to the place where Jesus was, the story tells us it was filled. There was no way to get in. So they could have easily just said, well, you know what, we'll just, we'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> or we'll just wait till Jesus comes to another spot. What did they do? The Bible says they went up and climbed on the roof and dug a hole in the roof right over where Jesus was sitting or where he was at. And the Bible says they took the, the, the mat the, 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 that the man was laying on and they lowered, they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Wouldn't you, like, wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? 
I, would, I, I mean, I just I got all these images in my mind of what that looked like. And, and Jesus was overwhelmed. He, he, you know, they, 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 lo- they loved him right there. But, but to me, that's, that, that shows me a sense of urgency, that they weren't satisfied with just saying, well, we'll just wait till tomorrow. They heard that Jesus was healing people, and they wanted their friend to get healed now. They weren't going to wait till tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. They were determined to get him help now. And that's really, I believe, what God is calling the church to do, is to get a sense of urgency that people need Jesus now. It's not like, well, we can wait to another time, and, and they're not listening to us or whatever. No, people, people need Jesus now. So um, that's, that's what I shared last week, and then we're going to look at the rest of this passage here this morning. And, you know, really, and I've said this already, everybody needs Jesus. You say, well... Some people don't even want me to tell them about Jesus, so maybe they don't really need him. No, they need him. They might not want to hear you talk about Jesus, but everybody needs Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, how rich you are, how poor you are, how smart you are, how uneducated you are, where you were born, where you live, it doesn't matter. Every single person that's ever been born needs Jesus. They, they, they need Jesus. So... Um, Look, look what Jesus said here in verse 5 of our story. When the man had brought this paralyzed man right before him, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So the first thing we see here is people are paralyzed by sin. People are paralyzed by sin. See, the man that was brought to Jesus, um, he, was, he was paralyzed. Physically, he was incapable of helping himself. He couldn't move, he couldn't get up, he couldn't walk. He needed, he needed the, those men to help him. He was, he was paralyzed. Um, and without the help of these men, he would not have been able to get to Jesus. But I believe his paralyzed condition is a picture of people all around us. They might not be paralyzed physically, but they're paralyzed spiritually. They're paralyzed. And they might not understand the source, but it's sin. Sin, sin has paralyzed them. And, and we think about this. People are paralyzed by addictions. They, 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 are, they are in bondage to their, to their addictions. People are paralyzed by brokenness. They've been, they've been broken. They've been let down. They've been uh, you know, disappointed, all these different things. Uh, people are, are, um, are paralyzed by heaviness. There's a, there's a weight of heaviness. There's, there's fear. There's anxiety, all these different things. People are paralyzed by depression. We, we see it all around us. People are, people are depressed. People are paralyzed by father and mother wounds. There, there's, you know, we do this in our, in our freedom encounters. We, we address people who were wounded by their mothers and by their fathers. In particular, we call it a father wound. And people carry around this their whole life, not realizing that what that father did or didn't say to them affected the rest of their life. They're, they're wounded, and they're, they're paralyzed by these things. And education cannot cure them. The government cannot cure them. The only physician that can cure them is Dr. Jesus. He's the only one. No, nobody else can do that but Jesus. So um, the men who carried him in heard about what Jesus was doing and believed that he would do the same for their friend. They believed that he could do the same for their friend. So... Um, see, sin, we look at this, 
Sin is the most deadliest disease for which Jesus is the only cure. It's sin. That, that, that's the most deadliest disease. You say, well, if I get diagnosed with cancer, all those other things. No, we've already been diagnosed with the most deadliest disease we could ever be diagnosed with. It's called sin. That's it. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. The Bible says because Adam sinned, we too sinned. Even before we can even speak or think or understand things, the Bible says that we are born into this world with a sin nature. Do y'all understand that? That's everybody. That, that was because of sin, we are born separated from God. So what could be more urgent than the message of salvation that frees someone from that sin nature? Nothing. That's the message God has given the church. That, 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 your sins, that your sins can be forgiven. So this is what makes the message so urgent. So, see, sin is the cause of every dilemma that the world faces today. Did, you, did y'all realize that? Everything that's a problem in the world today can be traced back to sin. Everything, murder, uh, death, pain, wars, suicide, all of those things that we look at and, and I've heard people say this before, how can a loving God allow all of these terrible things to happen in the world that we live in? It's called sin. It's, it's the choice that man made to go against the will of God and live his life the way he wanted to live his life. So guess what the consequence of that is? Death and pain and depression and suicide and murder and all of those different things. That, that's what sin has done. So... Um, I came across this when I was studying for this, and I thought this was very appropriate to, to sum up the, what sin really means, if Ruby wants to put that on the screen there. It says, sin is the procuring cause of all our pains and sicknesses. The word of Christ was to take his thoughts. This is the paralyzed man this is talking to. The word of Christ was to take his thoughts off from the disease, which was the effect and lead them to the sin, the cause, that he might be more concerned about that to get that pardoned. See, what Jesus was saying is, is that the first thing i got to fix with this paralyzed man is his sin issue. This is what's causing all of his problems. It's his sin. See, the world is seeking to fix man's problems, which is the effect, without fixing the root cause, which is sin. We're trying to solve all these different problems, you know, uh, you know, addictions, drugs, suicide, murder, abortion, all these different things. The world's trying to fix all these things, but they're not really getting to the root cause. What is the root? It's called sin. <laughs> See, sin is the cause. All the other things that, ha- that, that happen as a result of sin, that's the effect. So you can't fix the effect without fixing the cause. And that's, that's what Jesus that's what Jesus was saying here. So um, uh, people, people are paralyzed by sin. And we understand that as a church and as a, as a Christian, we know what the Word of God says. We, we understand that, that that's the most urgent need, is I've got I to gotta get them to Jesus. I've got to get them to the cross of Jesus Christ. So um, that's the first thing. The next thing is here in verse 5, it says... Um, 
seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. So the next thing we see here is people need to be forgiven. And, you know, I was thinking about this. What, what did the men bring their friend to Jesus to do? What, what did, why did they bring him to Christ? To get healed. They, they wanted him to be able to walk again, to, to do the things that, that they saw all these other people doing. But what did, but what did Jesus do? He forgave him. Now, I've got to think for a moment, those men were probably like, I'm kind of glad you're all about this forgiveness stuff, but that's not really why we came. And I don't know if they really knew if Christ was going to do the actual, the actual healing part because Christ said, he, he looked, and what I love about the story is the Bible says um, Jesus saw their faith. He said the faith, of the, man, the faith of the man that brought the paralyzed man, he's seeing their faith. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So I got to think they were like, they were baffled by this. But, um, but Jesus understood that forgiveness of sin is the greatest healing anyone could ever receive. And, and I tell people this all the time, especially when you're praying for someone that's sick or that's, that's dealing with an with a illness or a disease. You know, I always tell the person, especially if they're not a Christian, I'll say, listen, um, God wants to heal you. And God can heal you of this, whatever it is that you got. God can do anything. But the greatest healing that God wants to give you is, is to forgive you of your sins. And, and so really that, see, Christ, what he was doing, he was getting the priorities in order. <laughs> he, he, was show, he was showing us and showing all of those in that room around him, this is the most important thing that this man needs first. He needs to be forgiven. And um, see, people are bound up in shame and guilt. They're, they're, they're full of remorse. They're, they're full of guilt of the decisions that they've made, the choices that they've made, the things that they've done, the people that, they, that they've hurt. They're, they're full of shame. They're full of guilt. And they don't need the church telling them that how bad they are. They need the church telling them that God will forgive them. That's what we need. We don't need to go up to people and tell them how bad they are. They already know how bad they are. They know that already. What do they need? They need to know that God loves them. That God loved them so much he was willing to send his son to die for them. And that if they would accept Christ and just confess him as Lord, that God would forgive them of their sins. What better message could God give us to speak than that? What, what, what is there to be ashamed of? There's no shame in that. That, that, should, that should cause us to be excited to tell someone that God would forgive them no matter what they've done, who they've hurt, what, what they've said, that God, that God offers, offers forgiveness. See, Jesus came to give us the greatest gift we could ever receive. It's forgiveness of sins. Imagine someone that has murdered someone or has done a, you know, just the most unthinkable you know, thing, the unthinkable sin. Imagine what that would sound like in their ears for God to tell them, I forgive you. That's got to be the best word someone could ever receive. And that's what it is that Christ came to do. Um, we, look at the, we look at the gospel accounts. You remember the, the story of the woman caught in adultery? Remember, remember she was there? The, the religious leaders brought her before Jesus, the Bible says. And they said that this, the law of Moses says what? That demands that this woman be stoned to death. That, that, that's, what, that's what the law says. 
And what did Jesus say? He looked all around her. He said, let, let, let any of you without sin be the first one to pick up that stone and start throwing rocks at her. So what did they do? I said, uh-oh. I, I wasn't expecting that response. <laughs> they took the stone. They put it down. And they, they walked away. Why? Because everybody recognizes, you know what? I'm a sinner too. <laughs> you see? So, and what did Jesus say? He says, you know, where are your accusers now? And he goes, they don't, neither do I condemn you. Jesus, Jesus forgave her. And then we know uh, Zacchaeus, um, remember Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was stealing from the people. He was, um, you know, deceiving the people with, with, with their taxes. Um, the Bible doesn't give the words that were shared, but, but the Bible says that you know, Zacchaeus saw Jesus. He was up in a sycamore tree, the Bible says. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, I gotta come, I gotta come to your house today. See, urgency. He was like, I gotta, I gotta come to your house now. The Bible doesn't say what it was that Jesus told Zacchaeus when they when they were in the in his house, but what, it was pretty good, whatever he said, because Jesus said, I'm I'm willing to pay back whatever it was that I stole from anybody. I'm willing to give back even more than what it was that I have taken from them. So obviously we know what the message was. What was it? Christ told Zacchaeus, You're forgiven. I forgive you. And then, um, you know, we know the beautiful story of Saul, um, you know, which is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, probably the greatest story of, of, of forgiveness in the whole Bible. You know, uh, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was persecuting Christians, putting them in prison. Um, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the Bible says. Christ came to him and, and restored him, made him a brand new person, wrote most of the New Testament. God forgave him. And so forgiveness is, is, is huge for us. But, you know, when, when we think of forgiveness, we too must forgive. We, we think, well, yeah, that's right. God, God, for, God, God forgives. Yes, we're all excited. But guess what that means? That because we have been forgiven, guess what that means? I have to forgive. Not I should forgive, I can forgive, I might forgive, I think I should forgive. No, I have to forgive. This isn't on the screen, but... Jesus said in Matthew, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we must forgive. And this is not the, the just of my message here today. I could probably need to preach a message on forgiveness, but um, uh, we need to forgive as believers. And there's really no... You know, some people think, well, there's certain things that people can do to us that justifies me not forgiving them. But Jesus took care of that uh, in, in the Bible when, 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 he, when he talked about the man who, the man who had, been, had, had, been, had been forgiven in, in the story of the, uh, the, the man with the, uh, with the talents, and he, he had been forgiven much. And the Bible says that the one that, that, had, been forgive, that had been hurt a little was not willing to forgive just a, um, just a little bit, and, and he had been forgiven of so much debt. It was like a million dollars, and someone owed him like a hundred dollars or whatever it was, and he was unwilling to forgive. And the point of the story that Christ was saying was the million dollars was our sin debt, was our being forgiveness of our, uh, forgiven of our sin that we could never pay back. There was no amount of money. So what Jesus was saying is if I'm willing to forgive your sins that you could never pay for, then what is it that anybody else could do to you that would prevent you from forgiving them? Nothing. I know it's hard, but that's what the Bible says. We, ha we have to forgive. So people need to be forgiven. The next thing we see here is in verses 10 and 12. 
It says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm sure they haven't. <laughs> um, so the next thing we see here is people, people need to be healed. They need to be healed. They need to be forgiven, but people need to be healed. You know, when we think of healing, a lot of times we only associate healing with physical, with physical needs. But the healing that Jesus brings is much deeper than that. And um, people need to be healed mentally. They need to be healed of torments of the past, of words spoken to them. They need to be healed emotionally, that people have been rejected, they've been abandoned, they've, they've been mistreated, and people need to be healed spiritually. So when the Bible speaks of healing, it's much deeper than just physical healing. It's, it's, and I think a lot of times the other healings that people need probably have a greater impact on their life than the physical healing would. And Jesus provides them all. The, the Hebrew word for, for healing or healed is, is rapha. And y'all might remember, for those of y'all, I did a series on Jehovah, which is the, the Hebrew name for, 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 uh, for the Lord. And one of the, one of the compound names of Jehovah in the Bible is Jehovah Rapha, which is Jehovah, the Lord who heals. But if you look at the meaning or the definition of the word Rapha, the word means to be made whole or to be restored. So it's more than just physical healing. It's for us to be made whole and for us to be restored. And Lee, Lee read this uh, passage of scripture in Isaiah. This is Jesus quoting Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, what, what Lee was reading this morning. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what Christ was saying here, he's not talking about physical healing. Jesus is talking about healing of the wounds of people who were hurt, who were broken, who were, who were distressed, who were in despair, who were, who were depressed, oppressed, all those different things. Christ was speaking of the healing that only he can bring. And, and he says, I have come to bring recovery and restoration of all that was taken. And that's what I love about Jesus. And I'm just here to to speak this to this congregation this morning, and maybe you're a Christian, but you have not really absorbed this as a believer, that God wants to take your life, and no matter what it is that has happened in your past, God wants to restore you. He wants to give you back everything that was taken from you. Everything. And, and, and you, you, you need to accept that as truth, and not, not shortchange yourself of the enemy lying to you or your family lying to you, but receiving the truth of what the Word of God says, that God is a God who restores. He doesn't just patch us up and stick a Band-Aid on us and, and just send you off in all your way and say, I hope you do, I hope you do a little bit better. No, the Bible says that, Jesus, that, that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God has come to restore us. And that's the message God has given us to, the, to those around us that God can restore, that God can make us whole again, that God can take all the past hurts, all the, all the pain, all the things that were done. And um, my, my wife and I, well, last night, we, were, we, we attended an event. Um, I mentioned last week that this church supports the New Orleans mission as part of our Lighthouse Missions arm. We also support a, um, a ministry called Lynn's House, 
which is with our brother Rod and uh, Mary Agaloy, their, their uh, oldest daughter, had committed suicide several years ago. Her name was Lynn. And out of that uh, suicide, they started a, a ministry called Lynn's House, where they are ministering to women who are broken, who are depressed, who are hurting. And they have uh, property in reserve in Laplace area, and they have homes that they've put there. They take these women in, and they, they reach out to them, and they love them. And one of the ladies came up, and you know she's standing there, and she looks, looks so beautiful, all dressed nice, and her husband's right with her. And you can't ever imagine you know, that she faced anything bad in her life. And she's, she said she was sexually abused. She had been raped, and, but she was restored. She was speaking of restoration, and, she, and the, she, gave the, she gave it to Jesus. She said, Jesus is the reason why I'm standing here. So I'm here to tell you that this is real, that God restores, that God, that God heals, that, that God is a God of restoration. And that's the beautiful message that God, that God has given us. And then, and then the next thing we need to see is people need to see signs and wonders. They, they need to see signs and wonders. Um, the, the, the passage here says, and I love this, um, it says, see, the religious leaders, they scoffed at Jesus because they Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God, and they were like, you know, you're not the Son of God, and you have no authority to forgive sins. They, they thought it was blasphemy for Jesus to say that. So what did Jesus say? Well, so you know that, that I am the Son of God, and that I do have authority. I'm going to show you that I have authority. So what did he do? He looked at that man, and he said, son, get up. <laughs> He did, he did, there wasn't no big healing service. There wasn't no big, no, no big nothing. Je, Jesus looked right at the man, and he said, son, um, get, stand up. And the Bible says the man stood up, took his mat in full view, and he, and he, and he walked out. Now, I'm not, I don't know how I would have reacted in Jesus' time if, he, if, if, if I'd have been around there and he didn't claim to be the son of God. I really don't know. But I can tell you this. If, if I'm looking at people that are paralyzed, and the man's looking at them and just speaking to them and, and saying, get up. And the man gets up. I'm going to start stepping back and thinking, you know what? There's a very good chance he's probably God. <laughs> I would think that. Lazarus would have been enough for me. When, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, four days, the Bible says, four days in a tomb. And the man comes out wrapped in the linen cloth that he had. To, he, he speaks to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. That would have been enough for me. Now, I'm, not, I'm not judging those who didn't, didn't understand this, but I, I'm starting seeing the eyes open of blind people and the lame walking and dead people getting up. I'm probably going to start thinking, he's probably God. <laughs> so the Bible says, they, this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And, you know, that, that's what God wants. God wants that in this church that things begin to start happening in our church, that people in, that, in our community start saying, you know what, we've never seen anything like this before. And it's not because anything that we're doing, it's because we're allowing the Spirit of God to do those things. That we're giving God's Spirit liberty to come into this place and begin to change people's lives. And, 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 and I believe if those things begin to start taking place, that's gonna, people are going to start taking notice that God's in the house, that, that Jesus is in the house. There's a, there's a healer that, that, that's in the house. And see, because people are tired of the world promising and not delivering. It's time for the church to start believing God for the impossible, to start believing God for signs and wonders, the, the things that, that the apostles and the believers in the New Testament saw. God wants to do the same thing for us today. 
He's just looking for a people that will believe that he can do it. I believe God can do those things. I believe this church believes that God can do those things. In Acts chapter 4, it says, And now, O Lord, hear their hearts and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what God wants in this house, that we begin to pray and cry out that, God, you begin to do the supernatural. Begin to do supernatural, miraculous healings in our time. And I'm telling you, God, God will get the glory for those things. But, but church, our message is urgent. These men recognized that they, they had to get their friend to Jesus. And they were so determined to do so that they were willing to cut a hole in the roof where Jesus was and lowered that man right down. And I, I have to ask myself, am I taking the, the call God has given me to spread the gospel with that sense of urgency? Probably not. And God, but God can do that for us if we open our hearts up and say, God, give me that same spirit, God. Place inside of me that, that urgent call, that urgent spirit that, 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 that causes us to, to move with that same sense of urgency, and, and God will do that for us. Um, amen. Amen. You can stand to your feet. We're going to.